Greetings, listener, and welcome to episode 11 of the Duncurrent podcast. And this is the final episode for series one of the podcast, which feels very odd to say, as it really doesn't seem like that long ago that I was setting up the computer and the microphone in the spare bedroom to record the first episode with Abby Oliveira. But that was back at the end of October, and now here we are nearly five months later, almost at Easter, and life doesn't seem like it's changed that much. Having said that, not only did the clocks go forward last weekend to bring us officially into summertime, but I also got the patio furniture out of the shed, and it's been really nice to have a little bit of sunshine and warmth over the past week or so. But I also hear that there may be snow on the way next week, so the patio furniture could be put away again. I'm dreaming of a white Easter, just like the ones I used to know. But the researching, recording and editing of the podcast has been a wonderful experience. I've enjoyed the conversations with everyone that I've spoken to and taken something away from each of them. I don't want to go through individually because we'd be here all day, but I would like to thank, in order of appearance, Abby Oliveira, Joby Fox, Diona Doherty, Stephen James Smith, Fee Butler, Laura Quirk, Amy Louise Wyatt, Peter Sumad, Emer Maguire, and the two artists that you'll hear shortly, Raquel McKee and Kieran Harper. A huge thank you needs to go as well to the Dunkern for putting their trust and their faith in me to host the podcast when all it was pretty much based on was me asking them if I could do it, them giving me a microphone and then me winging it for five months. However, while one Dunkern project comes to an end, another one starts. So I'm not going to say too much about what's in store for the future, A, because we're only in the very early stages and B, because I've been sworn to secrecy. And I'm only half joking there, but what the Dunkern have planned is really forward thinking, which will probably come as no surprise considering the great work that Ray and the team have been doing this past year or so with various initiatives to keep you all entertained and informed during lockdown. And that includes the virtual cabaret, Take Two, Northern Lights, the Zoom storytelling, the online workshops and whatever else I've missed. I guess you could probably include the podcast in there too because all the guests have been entertaining and informing, even if I haven't been. But on a personal level, this new project will be a real challenge, and I say that in only positive ways. The one thing that I'm delighted about is that I'll finally be finding some use for that media studies degree, which I got 15 years ago. And on a wider level, it'll be brilliant and very new for the Dunkern and for the arts sector in general as I don't know any other arts organisations on this island who are doing anything like it. But another exciting development which I can talk about is that I'm very pleased to say that my book, The Age of the Microwave Dinner, will be available later this month. The virtual launch is happening on the evening of Friday the 30th of April. Exact details on that are still to be confirmed, but I purposely asked for a Friday evening on the basis that people could log in at the end of the working week listen to some poetry, maybe have a drink and hopefully have a bit of crack and enjoy themselves. So keep an eye on my social media for details on that event. There's also a wonderful serendipity that the podcast comes to an end that the month that the book is released, although I'm not sure what relevance the podcast ending on April Fool's Day has though. But anyway, as you probably know, the final podcast interview was broadcast last week in a video special as part of the Imagine Belfast Festival and it was with the poet Raquel McKee and the artist Kieran Harper. Both of them are of Caribbean descent and their race and identity is infused in and an influence on much of their creative output. I've been a fan of both Raquel and Kieran's work for a number of years 
and I really wanted to get them on the podcast. So when the discussion happened a few months ago with Peter O'Neill, who is the director of Imagine Festival, about the possibility of hosting a video version of the Duncairn podcast, and then he mentioned that one of the themes of this year's festival was about race and identity. It all just seemed like it was meant to be, and it all came together really quickly. There was one part during the conversation where I showed Kieran's work on screen, which obviously I can't do with this audio version, but the video is still up on the Imagine Belfast Festival YouTube channel, and of course you can check Kieran's website and socials for examples of that work. But I'll pass over now to me and listen to how professional I sound. Is it Colin Hazard or Michael Parkinson? Hello and welcome to Imagine Festival 2021 and to this special video recording of the Dunkern podcast. My name is Colin Hazard and I am the writer in residence for the Dunkern Arts Centre. For those of you who don't know, the Dunkern is an arts centre, obviously, based in North Belfast, whose mission is to inspire communities, develop audiences and strengthen the sector. As you may have noticed from my background, I am not in the Dunkern this evening, but I am rather in the luxurious surroundings of my spare bedroom. But this is where, for the past six months or so, I have been hosting the Dunkern podcast. And on that podcast, I have been chatting with various artists and performers from across the island of Ireland about art, their creative process, and generally finding out about them and their lives. And the Dunkern and myself are delighted to be involved with Imagine Festival to bring you this special video edition. And indeed, thank you to Peter O'Neill and the Imagine Festival team for allowing us to be part of such a great calendar of events that they've organised in these unusual and challenging times. This evening's podcast discussion is with Kieran Harper and Raquel McKee. Kieran is a mixed media artist working primarily with oils on canvas. His professional practice is comprised of mainly figurative paintings and composed of fine imagery, which predominantly features those of Black and African heritage. Kieran's mixed Irish and Caribbean roots play an important part in his ethnic inspired artwork. His achievements include graduating university and being awarded the Carson Medoul Prize for an outstanding piece of work and working with Child Research International to raise funds with a climb of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. More recently, Kieran has had artwork exhibited in the Royal Ulster Academy and the Titanic Building and was selected by the British Council to be part of a new narratives project and visit Rwanda last, year, last February. In October this year, Kieran will be exhibiting a solo show in a gallery in Belfast for Black History Month. My other guest is Raquel McKee, who is a Caribbean-born poet, storyteller and actress living on the island of Ireland. Raquel is a repeated Arts Council of Northern Ireland awardee and has been commissioned to write for the National Lottery Heritage Funded Links and Legacy 400 project run by the African and Caribbean Support Organization, Northern Ireland. Raquel has performed commissioned pieces at Gala NIA at Titanic Belfast, headlined at the Lit Up Open Mic Night, read at the Hillsborough and Eastside Arts Festivals and in Dublin at Poetry Ireland for the Cross Borders Transition Showcase amongst many other events. And in 2018, Raquel performed in the role of Asha in the Kabosh Theatre production Lives on Translation and has worked with Terra Nova Productions most recently on an online theatre performance called Injustice. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. And if you don't mind, if you don't mind, I'll start with Raquel and go right back to the start of your biography and ask about your Caribbean heritage and indeed how and why you swapped the Caribbean for Northern Ireland. That's a hard one, Kieran. Who would swap the Caribbean for Ireland? <laughs> Who would? <laughs> with sunshine like that, yeah. But when you think about it this way, last night my mum and I were musing together. I was telling her, thank you for me being born. 
And she said, yes, who would have known back then that the 17th of March would have been significant? At that time, she didn't know there was such a thing called St. Patrick's Day, but that's the date on which I was born. So I think that has a level of significance. Um, there, there might have been you know, some plan before me that I was going to have some connection with Northern Ireland. I have to say, the very first time that I flew in the airwaves of Northern Ireland, even before the plane touched down, I felt as though I had arrived home. Can't explain it, but that's what it is. So I think, yeah, I, I could, I could, I could see that God had His hand in this, you know, planning in advance of me coming here. Um, what brought me here? Love. One of those Northern Irish boys. Those, those Northern Irish boys are only trouble, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... And how, and how long have you been living here now? I've been living in Northern Ireland for probably about 17, 18 years. Um, moved to the UK before that and then over to Northern Ireland. Yeah, when we had, when I was pregnant with my third child. Yeah. Okay, well, I should say as well, belated happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you had a good day yesterday. Yeah. I did, thanks. I did. Yeah, lovely weather for it yesterday. Indeed. And then um, growing up, you know, in, in Jamaica, were you always mm. interested in, in poetry and, and the creative arts? Um, my father quoted Shakespeare. My mother sang in weddings. She also had a scholarship for a drama workshop. And she then went on to be a, a, a children's TV program host and, uh, and also a teacher, which it so happens are things that I have also fallen, followed her footstep in. You know, I have done all of those things. But no, when I was very young, I wouldn't have said that I had had an interest in, um, in poetry at the very outset. I think my first recollection of connecting with literature and, and the arts in that way, well, my mom also did um, community activities where she would teach um, young young people to, to perform dances and so on. So I had connections with the arts in those ways. But um, my first time that I fell in love with literature was when I was in grade five in Jamaica and my teacher Hector Hemans used to have this routine of bringing us into class after lunch, letting us put our heads on the desk and he would read to us. I used to live for Jane Eyre. I just absolutely fell in love with literature when he did that. And I mean, about five years ago, I remember connecting with him on Facebook and just saying, sir, thank you so much for letting me fall in love with literature the way I did. So, you know, in those early days, you know, a lot of our curriculum was very much the, the British curriculum. And so I was learning things by H.A. Bohan, um, turn sideways now and let them see what loveliness escapes the schools. That's a, that's a Welshman. And, you know, other, other literature of the sort at the time were, you know, from, from British writers. But by the time I got to secondary level school, we had extracurricular activities that allowed us to experience people like Louise Bennett Coberley and um, other Jamaican writers 
like um, Claude McKay and, and others. Then by the time we got to um, college, I was, I, I was at college as a teacher training, for teacher training, and at that stage, we got exposed to people like Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, and, you know, those were now part of the curriculum, no longer just the British um, writers anymore. So, yeah, over time, I think my interest in literature and love of poetry and love of the arts developed, yeah. That's great and funny you mentioned Jane Eyre because I also I read that in secondary school mm -hmm. uh, but I had quite the opposite reaction to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was putting my head down to fall asleep but uh, <laughs> but no I think it's, I think it's wonderful that you were able to then go and thank the, the teacher that had inspired you and, and you know I, I certainly have a teacher that inspired me into poetry into English um, yeah. um, so thank you for, for sharing those memories and then um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, turning back to to Kieran now, um, in your biography, you mentioned um, the Caribbean and the Irish roots, and I also read somewhere I believe that you were born in Leicester in England. Um, so, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? That's right. Yeah, I was born in Leicester, and I think I've been I must be living here at the same sort of time as Raquel then, about uh, eighteen years. I think. So, I moved over when I was about ten years old. From Leicester, uh, of course, born there. My dad is from Leicester, but his parents both from Jamaica. Uh, so my, my mom's actually she's from Armagh. So quite the contrast then. No, and then that's, and that's the reason that we moved over. Just moved over closer to my mom's family, and so my whole family moved over. Uh, and is Armagh where you'd moved back to? No, I've moved down to the near near the Morn Mountains, County Down. Oh, really? Yeah. Whereabouts? Kilku. Small village called Kilku. Oh, I know it. I know it. Because I'm, I'm a county oh, yeah. down man originally as well. I'm Banbridge, which is oh, yeah. a bit of a bigger a, town. A, but a, a family in Banbridge too, yeah. Um, well, I, I would argue there's the best town in the north, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, my, my, my dad's actually from Dundrum, so I would have been around oh, Kilku yeah. and around that part of the world quite regularly. Yeah. And then... Were you, like I always have this idea that people who get into paintings and kind of visual art are the, are the, the children who just are obsessed with, with crayons and paints and colours and just constantly drawing. Is that is that your case? Yeah, I don't have any like major memories going back you know, to my childhood of, of when I first started really, you know, getting into art. Just, just really remember being quite creative, doing a lot of drawing and that. Um, I think my mum and dad were, were quite into, into drawing. My mum did, did a little bit of painting. My dad used to do a bit of drawing as well. He used to draw his cars. Um, my mom used to do uh, some portraits and that. So I think that's maybe where I've got it from. And I'd, yeah, just really picked up on me like that and just carried it on through school. Through, and then into second secondary school, whereas I uh, used to be talking about reading, getting read poetry and, and, and literature in school, I would, would it be the same. You know, I'd be putting my head down on the desk. I wasn't that too much into it, into reading. Uh, but more about the the spoken word, or or more 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 listening to things, or you know watching things. So I'd be much more into drawing and that. So that's, that's the kind of path that I took in school, and then later led on to going to, to did it for three years in tech, and then another three years in university after that. Just felt natural for me to do. You know. It is it is natural, did you say? Yeah, it was just natural for, for me to do. Uh, you know, I'd rather. For my pictures to speak speak the words. 
Yeah, they, 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 me writing them or even speaking them out loud like I am now. <laughs> well, a picture paints a thousand words, as they say. That's it. That's mm. it. Yeah. And but as I always, as I always say with the poetry, why say in ten words what you can say in a hundred? So that's, <laughs> I guess that's why we're very different. Um, but... uh, can I just throw something else in there, um, Colin? I, I was just thinking about, um, you know, the foundations that have been laid for us, and like with your parents having that interest. Um, Kieran in, in, you know, painting and arts and so on. And I'm just thinking back to how the Jamaica Cultural Development Commission played a big role in my love for poetry because every year it would host a festival competition where boys and girls would be allowed to practice and perform um, pieces of poetry and do bits of drama. And then um, later on in the year, there was also a singing competition. And so even just, just that made a big deal because I then learned a lot of poetry, which I can still remember today. And I, I just really am grateful for, for that kind of input in my life. And on, on that subject, Raquel, I know you have quite a few strings to your creative bow with the poetry, mm -hmm. the storytelling, yeah. uh, the music, the acting. But if we just stick with the poetry for mm -hmm. a minute, mm -hmm. um, what is your kind of creative process like in terms of where you create and how you create? Uh, I would say that it differs. Uh, I have, if I was doing what we call page poetry, uh, I tend not to, to be as big into research when I'm doing page poetry. I tend to respond to the things around me or the things that I'm feeling. And, um, and usually, you know, the thoughts will come to me and I'll start writing and then I'll just edit as I'm going along. And um, then at the end, I'll, I'll, I'll redraft and, and that would be typically the way it would work. But when I'm doing dub poetry, very often what happens is that a seed will be planted in my mind and I'll go away and do a load of research, a whole lot of research. And while I'm doing that research, what will tend to happen is I'll be brooding over the topic. Um, dub poetry, for those of you who don't know, is Jamaican performance poetry, which very often has a strong rhythmic beat and almost always is social commentary oriented. So people like Louise Bennett Coverley, who I mentioned earlier, people like Linton Quasi Johnson, people like Muta Baruka, et cetera, are, are, are proponents of dub poetry. Um, so very often social commentary would be part of it. And so, you know, I would be doing the research, I'd be brooding over the thing. And what would then tend to happen is I would come to the point where it would all just spill out onto the page and very often almost fully formed with very little tweaking needed after that. Somewhere along that point, I would have got some kind of beat or rhythm that would kind of help drive the piece. But yeah, that, that's typically the, the process for me when I'm doing dub poetry, as of course, against when I'm doing page poetry where it just comes differently, yeah. That's quite interesting from my point of view, obviously I'm, I'm a writer as well, a poet. Yeah. And that you're making that distinction between the page poetry and the, the spoken word poetry. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. just uh, in terms of like the research, you know, sometimes I have poems in my head for years. Yeah. Mulling around. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I just find that very interesting how, how different poets approach, approach their subjects. Yeah. Um, 
but then for Kieran in mm. the, the painting the visual arts um, I know you're based in the Queen Street studios in Belfast so what so what is your kind of creative process like down there so yeah that's where I'm I'm calling from today I'm, I'm here at the, the Queen Street studios and for me uh, as you see around well maybe you can't see I'd like I'd like to even get you up to show about but if there's canvases on the walls and bits of weird and that and yeah creative process really starts for me is if, a bit like Raquel was saying if I just have an idea um, if I hear something if I hear something maybe in a song uh, could be even just the title of a song I think oh wow that already stands out for me and then I go in and do my research on that as well and I just get as much imagery as I can together and kind of just do really push them together a, a, a bit like I would say a bit like hip-hop music I suppose in a way whereas you get the sampling as it's you know it's maybe songs and that from the 60s or 70s and then mixed with something like the new culture the graffiti style um it's, it's, it's kind of how I, how I see the way I I create my my images as well so I make all my own canvases most of the time and yeah it's, it's just that process of getting something made on computer i mean for me for, first works very well um i like to do i kind of like that mix match of, of things kind of like sampling and i do that on a collage it'll be a digital collage it's just putting images together and whatever ideas that i'm having flowing around in my head and then from there i translate that into a painting blow it up from something this size up to you know two meters in size and is this something that you've always done on the computer or is this just just for the collage work uh so i suppose it's, i think it's always kind of just originated from the computer i always like to have a reference image i never really just paint straight from my head um i really like being able to copy or imitate something and then put my own spin on it as well um so, yeah, so I, I always imagine just artists just like kind of experimenting on canvas, but to, to actually do on a computer is something I hadn't never contemplated before. That's it. Yeah. No, I think maybe I get nervous whenever I get I, I get the, the canvas. Sometimes you get a, a brand new fresh canvas. Maybe it's the same as whenever you get a, a you know a fresh piece of paper. Putting that first word down on it, you think, oh no, I don't want to make a mistake. So it's just like when whenever you're typing on the computer, you know, you can go back, edit, change things. Whereas when once you do something on a on a canvas. You're taking a, a lot more of a risk where you you know you could you just ruin something <laughs> you want to go back and fix it and i get that because usually every birthday or christmas somebody buys me a notebook a really lovely notebook and you can you can tell it's expensive and you go i i don't even want to write on this it's so good i don't want to ruin this notebook that's it yeah <laughs> absolutely same even in my bag now i've got a couple of notebooks and all i've done in them is the first page of maybe scribbled a few notes in them and I, you know, I always think in my head, oh, I'm going to have to do a notebook. I could just sit there, relax, do a few sketches, and that never works out like that. Yeah. No, I need to have something pretty set. Uh, just go there for the day and just, you know, do it. Mm. And just on the subject of, of, of the Queen Street Studios, where I know you're, you're down there with about 30 artists or so. Yeah. What, what is like the kind of the, the working relationships, like the camaraderie between you? Is there a... Do you look at each other's pieces and give feedback, or how does that work? Yeah, well, tough at the minute with uh, with all the restrictions and that. You know, there's mm. a you only really seeing people in passing, um, or or maybe a little bit online. <laughs> but I have two studio neighbours. Um, I'm familiar with them. I'm friendly with one was actually 
she graduated with me. Her name's Rachel Law, and then Dan Ferguson on the other side. So they're both quite figurative artists as well. And definitely do get, get a bit, bit of inspiration from the different colleagues in here. That's for sure. And it does really push and motivate you as well because you can see how productive other people are and you think, no, got to get there and, and yeah, put in the work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think we all know that feeling. Uh, and then Ra Raquel, how have you found the, the experience within the, the poetry circuit? Uh, it's been interesting. Um, in some ways, there has been a lot of support and um, and encouragement, more so now than when I started. Um, one of the things, though, is that I'm writing in a genre that is not as familiar and not as respected, probably. Um, yeah, dub poetry is fairly new to quite a few people in Northern Ireland. And uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a genre of poetry, doesn't seem to command the same kind of respect that uh, various forms of page poetry will, will command. And um, I find it, it, it's tricky then, for instance, if, um, if people want to rate you or compare you or, or determine what your quality is, they don't quite know what to do with that. You know, how do they make that call? What, what do they judge you on? Um, and so, for instance, I found that there have been individuals who have tried to advise me about my dog poetry you, based on page poetry techniques and standards. And um, I've had to grow into the level of confidence where I, I feel as though I know what this is supposed to be, and I know how it's supposed to come across. So yes, even though there is stuff that I can learn about poetry, and there is stuff that I can draw on to improve my dub poetry, I don't think somebody else who's not writing dub poetry is really going to be best placed to advise me. So that's been a bit tricky. And then, of course, there, there have been the, the little issues, for instance, of, you know, how do you get into some of the bigger venues, you know, with, with an art form that's not as respected or not, you know, not known as well. Um, I remember when I was at Queen's, we were considering things like this and, and you know, wondering how do you how do you get the country to diversify its art forms if they do not have a body of knowledge from which to base a judgment about how good a quality this new art form is. And we, you know, it's it's tricky. It's it's a bit difficult. So yeah, there is that. But I have to say it has been lovely being part of Women Allowed and recently uh, John Hewitt Society. And you know, it's been lovely being part of Kinsana, which is the African Caribbean support organizations, group of artists, and you know, just have other people endorsing your work, encouraging you, pushing you forward. I have to say Joe Ricketts from Axoni has been invaluable. He's the one who's really said, you can do this, go and do it. So that's been lovely, yeah. Yeah, well, I can, I can certainly speak from experience when I say that often spoken word poetry or performance poetry is, yeah. is, is looked down on, so. Yeah. 
I'm sure that you're finding the same thing as you mentioned there with with dub poetry. Yeah. Um, but it's great that you, it's changing, or you can you can feel it changing. It yeah. 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 And, and you yeah. talked there about about the understanding. Um. So I'm going to just switch back to Kieran for a second. Um. Because uh, it was quite a few years ago, actually. Now, I I visited the artist Anne Gallery in East Belfast, and quite by chance I discovered your exhibition, which is called Windrush. And for as a little bit of background for those who don't know, the Windrush generation, as they're known, are the people who arrived in the UK from the Caribbean in the late 1940s and early 1970s, and who helped rebuild Britain after the Second World War. But then in 2017, there was the start of the Windrush scandal, where it came to light that many of these people had been or were detained, deported, denied human rights. And because of the feelings of the UK immigration system, they were labelled as illegal immigrants and therefore denied access to healthcare, to, to bank accounts, to housing and so on. And the whole scandal caused a huge condemnation for the UK government and led to radical reform of the immigration policy. So I saw this exhibition that you had um, painted called Windrush. And I have some of your paintings here, which we'll show on screen now. Um, let people look through those and some of the titles are, as you can see on the screen, Knockout, After School, The Glory of the New, and Bunker. Um, but uh, the first thing that struck me is just the paintings themselves, just how great they are in terms of the monochrome colours and the style, the content, the way the, the faces are blurred, the use of, of, of lines and textures on it. But going back to that understanding um, that Raquel mentioned, like what was your message behind this collection or what inspired you to, to put these paintings together? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. It came to me at the same time as the whole scandal was coming on. So I was I was actually started on that body of work and I, I knew it was it was all going to be based around Windrush and then it came on, on the news, you know, about the Windrush scandal. So just just the timing of that, I, I just couldn't believe it. And for me, yeah, it's just the way my, my grandparents were both coming around on, on that same generation. You know, they, they came around from Jamaica to England in the 60s, that was then. And you had, uh, I was reading back at um, certain certain books that I had, all, all based on this kind of experience. You know, the, 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 they were, you know, they just didn't get accepted by, by the, the British people. And, and there were race riots that in, in the 50s um yeah and the, then since you've had since, since you had like the carnival that is a kind of emerged from that um carnival in london kind of as like a response to those race riots in the 50s now it's the largest street carnival in western europe um so you, you can see how the ideas have kind of shifted the way more people are much more embraced of of the different cultures um coming from the place where where I was from in Leicester, compared to where I moved to a small village, Kilku, you know, is Leicester was like a very multicultural city. Well, I think it's one of the most in, in the whole of England. Surely that that in London. So it was it was that kind of experience for me coming from a place with that other culture cultures happening, and then to a place called Kilku, or even that the, this whole country in in, in Ireland and in, in Northern Ireland. You know, there's not a lot of other Caribbean or even African people. You, you see it a lot more, though, in, in Belfast, you know, in the built-up areas of, in the city. But you still have that sense of the otherness as well. Um, I think that that's what, what I was kind of portraying in my work. 
it's if you see the images there on screen, a lot of it's kind of monochrome. Um, for me, I was I was kind of just a comment on on how you know people coming over were defined as colored people, you know, and, and they were the the other. But I, I tried to just do my work in, in black and white to show show that kind of history, or black and white and brown and white. Um, so I think that's that's just how that, that kind of that works kind of spawned from there. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that that personal connection you have to it. And what what has the reaction been, or what was the reaction to the, that collection like? Uh, very well. I had work actually in a collection for the British Horse Council. Um, that that one was actually featured. It was a, an image of of my my granny from from Jamaica. So. And I just had another work. It was picked up by a collector in Boston. So it was, it was my first piece of, of international work that, that, that really sold. Um, and that one was also featured in the RUA, the Royal Ulster Academy, there in 20, 2019. So, yeah, 2019. That was, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was good reaction from it. Like, got good feedback. First solo show, so excellent. Yeah, yeah, moving from strength to strength as well. Following that, and I think for for visual art, it's much easier to separate the, the artist from the painting because there is that physical distance between the two. Whereas Raquel, you're on stage with the microphone and you're delivering the poem, and it was coming mm -hmm. out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. So, like what? How would you use your identity and even even your race within your work? How is that infused together? I have to say, for me, there is a lot of focus on race and identity in my uh, work, especially in my uh, performance poetry, because, of course, social commentary lends itself to the freedom to talk about racial injustice. And one example is the performance injustice, which picks up on the themes of racial injustice and reparations. And through poetry and movement, we have created a piece on terranovaproductions.net forward slash in hyphen justice for those who want to go and look for it. Um, and in that piece, you know, it, it gives an opportunity, it lends itself to talking about some of these really important, but very personal, um, issues surrounding race and identity. I mean, those of you who have watched it, you'll notice that I, I comment about my own personal experiences, the experience my family has had with racial injustice and how we, how we, you know, the impact it has had on us. And of course, it, it, it leads on to lots of other very important questions. So yeah, in my work, I do have the opportunity to do that. And um, I have to say, I don't regret that. There are a number of writers who think you should divorce the, the artist from the art. And, you know, there's a whole debate about whether the pronoun I should be in poetry. Um, personally, for me, poetry is personal and political. So it's a combination of both. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, and then on that subject, I know that you, you read a poem at the, the Black Lives Matter March last year in Belfast uh, with mm -hmm. a, poem, a poem called Time Come. Yes. And there was, there was a very powerful, inspiring poem, but there was two lines in particular that I, that I picked out, which were, 
the nonchalance of systemic racism mm -hmm. and also we will not sit back in silence that's right so i mean what sort of feelings did, did the, the george floyd murder and kind of the rise of the black lives matter movement stir up in you i have to say um but for me, somebody who has black skin, it was not again, because for a number of people, this was new. They were seeing this for the first time, but for people with black skin, this is, this is our life. This is everyday reality for us. Every single week, you will have a video posted to you about, you know, cheap black life you look in the movies and if there if anybody's going to be killed it'll be the black guy first you know if anybody's going to be um put down it'll be the black guy first you know so that is part of the nonchalance of systemic racism where it is such a part of the mindset that black lives don't matter and that you know white people are superior is the is the mindset and everything else kind of ju just comes out of that so yeah that's been that's been a very it, it was a poignant moment for me personally especially when i noticed that the whole world was waking up to the fact that this is a reality that this actually happens and i really do feel as though it is a watershed moment time has come things are beginning to gain traction and i am praying desperately that it continues and that things will change yes i hope you're right as i'm sure um, everyone watching this um, will agree with that uh, and kieran i hope i hope this is a short no to the answer to this question but <laughs> um on on that kind of subject um have you experienced any I don't know, I guess any systemic racism or any barriers within the visual arts world, do you feel? Because of your your you know, your heritage and your skin color? Um, no, I, I I don't think I have. I don't think I have. You know, I've, I've, I've experienced things very, very rarely, uh, a bit of racism, but not, not in a kind of systemic way or anything that's held me back at all um, for me. The only, the only thing I can think of is, is definitely really a positive thing, you know. Uh, but uh, I, that's the way my, my work, I feel like it kind of stands out in a place, place like, like Ireland. So I think that is, as, a, as a positive thing, really, yeah. Yeah, and even, even when you did your little tour of the studio there behind you, um, I saw a glimpse yeah. of Martin Luther King, a small portrait. And yeah, oh, yeah. Here, good eye. Yeah, that's it's a it's a tiny little it's a tiny little picture there. So yeah, of course I got those um, inspirational black figures. Uh, is actually Martin Luther King and the Malcolm X side by side there. Mm -hmm. I, I actually completed them at the same sort of time as 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 that movement in June, twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. To kind of response to that, um, just yeah. I'm, of course, they're just proud of that, that that cultural heritage as well. Of course, that, that these are men from from America. You know, of course, that, that's a similar experience. Um, what what the the African British or Caribbean British would have experienced to the, the African Americans in that same sort of that, that time period in the in the sixties, which is kind of in this uh, this Windrush generation is that that I refer to in my work. Yeah. And I think probably both of you would agree that 
kind of within the arts community and i'm glad that you said no to that question by the way um but i think people would agree that within the arts community we're kind of preaching to the converted because we are quite liberal and we're usually kind of you know peace and love and understanding what can we do to to change racist attitudes on a wider scale do you think i know that's a big question um and of course probably a you know a big answer but is, is there anything that we can do on a kind of a local level do you think what do you want first don't mind Whoever is ready. You take it off, Raquel, go for it. Okay, um, I don't know if you want me to start because if I start, you might not get me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you know, I'm a part-time teacher. So I have inside experience and um, an inside view on what's happening in the education system. And I have to say that I think is one of the major areas that needs radical overhaul in my, in my um, estimation. The, the, the mindset of um, the education system at the moment is that Britain is the best and everything else is pale in comparison to it. And the way that the curriculum is taught is taught with that ethos behind it. And I think that does not give uh, room for equity and equality and does not uh, allow young minds to recognize and understand that I need you to be, to be the better me. That concept of Ubuntu, which is such a deep and enriched and ingrained part of African thought that, uh, that, that lends itself to the community focus as against the individual focus that tends to happen in the UK. Um, to me, as long as there is this individualistic mentality and the, the Britain is best and everybody else is kind of what's left, then we, the, the, the mindset, unless that mindset is changed, we will always have problems until the philosophy that holds one man superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, we're gonna have the problem of racial injustice. Haley Selassie said it. It's a very salient point and thank you for making it so succinctly despite your initial reservation that you would i do have <laughs> lots more i could say but <laughs> <laughs> again karen what are your thoughts on that uh yeah of course it's it's education really it's education uh you're, you're definitely seeing definitely seeing a, a lot a lot more changes anyway with in, in recent years, but I'm not not too sure what it is like in, in school now. But I, I just remember, you know, learning. Um, I was from a an old boys Catholic grammar school in in, in Mary, so uh, it was kind of one one way of one way of uh, teaching, really. You know, that, that kind of Catholic or, or or Christian, even just the, the history was only just really Irish or um, some some British history. Uh, in, until you really get that kind of global um like that, that kind of education of, of, of things that are going on and in, 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 the, in the wider things you know in the, in the world um like it, even when i was living in england i could only remember learning the history about things i just don't really need to know about you know like henry the eighth and how many how many wives he has things like that um yeah i think you really need to learn about uh the history of, of slavery uh, and, and other atrocities in the world and how it's going on even still today 
um, is, is really what needs to be taught, um, as, as you see in other, other countries in, in Africa, in, in India, in Asia as well. Yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right. There's, there needs to be an, an understanding and an acceptance of that colonial past and a teaching of it um, to the younger, younger generations. I have to say, though, Colin, it is a difficult topic, mm. and Terra Nova's um, commission gave myself, Rosa Stewart McCreary, and Michelle Ashwood Stewart, my my two collaborators, gave us an opportunity to engage with a really difficult, thorny topic of you know beginning to look at how we can begin to make change. And it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for those of us who feel like we have been victimized. And it's also uncomfortable for the people who feel as though they are complicit in some way. So uh, there is no there's no hiding. There's no pretending around it. It is uncomfortable, but it's just important. It has to be had. Mm. Yeah. You've, you've got groups, you know, like Axoni as well, which are doing, doing great things for, the, for this country as well. So that's yeah. good to see. And that, I think that that word uncomfortable is interesting, Raquel. Um, like what what type of reaction would you like people to have to, to both your respective works? I would want people to be uncomfortable and for that discomfort to, to cause them to look again. And once they look again, to think, okay, what am I going to do? What's going to be my responsibility? How am I going to make a difference? It's easy to just think, I'm just one small cog, you know, I'll leave it to the big wigs or to the people with the power to make the change. But I think if every single individual takes responsibility for making a small change in their sphere of influence, that we can begin to make some significant progress. So in, in the Terra Nova piece, there is actually a form that follows it that invites people to commit to what they will do after watching the piece and to tell us about it. And, and I would love to hear, you know, what are people being prepared to commit themselves to? What, what cost are we actually prepared to pay individually, personally, as well as then politically to actually see racial injustice and reparations move forward? Yes, and that, that injustice play um, is, is a very powerful piece of work. And I, I really love the contrast between obviously the person of color asking mm -hmm. the questions and then the white person asking the questions, mm -hmm. um, just for that crossover, because there are questions that certainly I think about from a white person's point of view. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask Kieran kind of that, that same question about what reaction he wants within an audience, but probably um, add in sort of the caveat as he talks about this personal connection to his artwork, the subject that he paints. But Kieran, are you are you thinking then about what the audience reaction would be, or does that not even enter your head? Definitely does, yeah. Uh, I like for my work to be kind of open and kind of be interpreted in, in any way uh, as, as the viewer, you know. It's going to be different to Exactly. What, what I'm the point that I'm putting across isn't always the point that's that's coming out the other side of the painting. So uh, I, I do kind of like it to or uh, open interpretation. But for to have a, a much more of a, a broader message, though, yeah, uh, I suppose with that, really, what my work is is kind of coming behind this kind of, and I have this mixed heritage as well, 
um, I guess it's those mix of different cultures. And I don't know, it's actually really hard. I don't, I don't often think that. I just, <laughs> it's really hard to, it's hard to think what really I, I want to get across in my paintings. Well, I, ha I have one more curveball question for you, and it is. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bring it on, he says. Bring it on. <laughs> is how many wives does, does Henrietta have? No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, the question actually is, what what would success mean to you as an artist? Hmm. If you want to think about it, I can pass it to Raquel in the meantime. Success as an artist, uh, would like to be internationally known. That would be nice. <laughs> put, a, put a few things down on a, on a list there. No, but it would like, I, would, I would like to just... Hmm, really, don't want to be just put into one box, really, as, as well. So, I know I do primarily oil paintings and that, but um, I think... Any success. Oh, I suppose it's what you're known for as well. It's kind of have a, like a signature style without having to put my signature on a work for people to know exactly who painted it. it would be nice. Hmm. Success. I, obviously, I, I don't want any fame or anything. <laughs> Just in that way, though, is nice. Just so, 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 so uh, you know who's who's painted it. That, that'd be good. Um, other things to add there. Yeah, be international and, and, and have. Not so much recognition. That is a really hard question, though. You've, you've made me. You've made me think. Whenever you um, air this, you can go back and edit it and cut out all those ums and airs that I've been doing for the past two minutes as well. I'll type you an email response to that one. <laughs> it's okay. I can edit into the audio podcast. Then that's fine. Yeah. Um, and Raquel is a poet, and obviously Kieran's talked about not being pigeonholed into a box, and you have lots of as I said, creative strings to your bow. Um, what would success mean to you then? Yeah, I have to say that resonated when Kieran said that because um, in so many different ways, I don't want to be pigeonholed into one box. Uh, I feel as though I have been blessed with many talents and success for me, I guess, would be to make my maker pleased, to, to feel as though I have brought each of those talents as far as I can bring them um, and to, to benefit others from, from the talents that I've had. Um, this one little thought has come back to me repeatedly. I remember when I met quite an important individual in the arts world in Northern Ireland and they asked me about the future. And immediately I said, I want to bring the African Caribbean arts community into the, into the mainstream. And they said to me, one step at a time, get yourself into the mainstream and then you can bring them on. And I thought, but I don't want to be the one in the mainstream before everybody else. I want us all to come together. I, you know, I want us to emerge there together. So I suppose that that is something that drives me as well. I don't feel as though I want to be there on my own. Um, this concept of Ubuntu, you know, community is key and core and family is very deep for me. Um, so, so just making it on my own is really just doesn't cut it. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, success would include that for me as well. Yeah. And on the subject of the future, what future projects have you got in the pipeline? Oh, well, I have been invited to Kurt International Festival. Um, I'll be in Galway, hopefully, in April of this year as a part of that festival. Uh, hello, Kurt. Looking forward to seeing you in Galway. <laughs> um, I also will be hosting a performance poetry event at the John Hewitt Society, the John Hewitt International Summer School, and somebody else I know <clears throat> will be there too. <laughs> um, I have also been invited to do my first dub poetry workshop at a festival over in Scotland. Details of that yet to be fine-tuned. I have submitted my first anthology for uh, publishing and I'm waiting to hear about that. Uh, I have a piece of work in soundings which is going out I think this week as a part of, well sorry or maybe it has already gone out with um, Belfast City Centre uh, putting together pieces I think in connection with the the um, quotidian word on the street uh, and there was something else in my head there for a moment, but yeah, lots of bits and pieces going on in the background and hopefully they'll all come together in the future soon. That was fairly busy then, I've gathered. <laughs> um, and then Kieran, I know you've mentioned the, the collage work that you've been doing recently and we, we saw a couple of glimpses of some of the, the smaller portraits. Um, what other projects are you working on? Yeah, so I'm just trying to work quite smaller up on my works now because um, was uh, of course I, I shipped that that painting first time internationally to to America and that that was a uh, quite a quite a lot of uh, hassle to try and get that shipped to be honest because it was that big it was like nearly two meters um, you know in, in, in diameter so working smaller making my work more accessible and being able for for more people to see it um, being able to share it more I think is is kind of my aim over the next I suppose my the next year and if people would like to check out some of your work where can they do that yeah of course they can on instagram i've got my website as well instagram is at harper.painting and the website is www.kieranharper.com um, i hope to be putting up my collages soon it's about first time ever doing it as well and that's it like a like i said i don't want to be just known for for one one thing but in the, the one box kind of thing so Trying to, trying to do a lot more, um, very much into photography and videography as well. So that and, and the college is definitely a, a lot more things to be working on. Excellent stuff. And then Raquel, where can people find out about you and your work? Okay, now, like I said before, there are a few different um, aspects to it. So I've mentioned already about terranovaproductions.net forward slash in hyphen justice where you can find the performance of Injustice followed by the workshop, which takes um, you know, a, a fulsome, this well, <laughs> a short fulsome discussion about the piece and the, the issues related to it. Uh, but at the moment, I'm quite busy with a podcast with a group of ladies who are quite dear to me um, called Unmute Now. And it can be found on YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at 
unmute now or at unmute now one in one instance. I think on Twitter it's at unmute now one. Um, and you can hear episodes of our podcast there where we talk about a number of issues that our communities very often don't get an opportunity to talk about. So our tagline says raising the volume on whispered conversations in our communities. So um, there's podcasts, there's a performance in justice, but if you want to hear pieces of my dub poetry or other forms of poetry and a little bit, little smattering of song, uh, I have a YouTube channel at Raquel McKee, or just Raquel McKee on YouTube. I'm not so great with that side of it. Um, so you can check out some of my work there if you're interested. Uh, and I have a few pieces published in a number of anthologies. There's, excuse me, one anthology coming up soon as well that um, I will have some pieces in. So um, I'll be tweeting about those, so look out for it. Thank you for that. And uh, one, just one last painting question, but this is not for Kieran. It's just to you, Raquel, about the painting behind you. Oh, <laughs> great. I love that you've done that. Thank you, Colin. That <laughs> painting behind me is done by my sister-in-law, Catherine, and she does it mostly for fun. But every chance we can get, we get her to do more. So yesterday I got two pieces for my birthday. So very excited. Yeah. It's a lovely birthday present. And, uh, yes. I think you're putting me to shame with the, the wardrobe behind me and Kieran, who's actually in an art studio and didn't put up any artwork behind him. But oh, no, I didn't. There's no artwork in this whole studio. On so many other walls. I'll say it that side, that side. No worries. Well, thank you both for that. And uh, as we come to a close now, um, I would just like to once again thank Peter O'Neill and Imagine Festival for having us at this year's event and to all the audience for joining us. Um, also, thank you to Accidental Theatre for hosting us. Um, this is actually the last episode of the Duncan podcast for this series and what a way to buy out. So the audio for this podcast, as with all the previous episodes, will be available on whatever streaming service that you listen to your podcast on from next week. But my final and largest thank you go to the two artists, Raquel McKee and Kieran Harper, for your time and for your chat and for your inspirational words. And I'll just finish with um, a quote that Raquel said, to be a better me. And I think from this talk, I think, what we can take away is to try and be a better us, whoever that may be. So thank you, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Thanks again, Colin. And that's a mantra that I hope to carry forward in life, to be a better me, and indeed to be, or at least try to be, a better poet. So feel free to tune into the podcast video on the Imagine Belfast YouTube to see Kieran's artwork, Raquel's birthday painting, my spare bedroom and all our gorgeous faces. As with all previous podcasts, I will end this one with a poem. And this is the final poem in the book. And it's also the poem where the book title Age of the Microwave Dinner comes from. And I guess the book title and this poem are about how there are so many kind of trivial and transitory things in life but that we've got to try and appreciate the important things. And somewhat ironically, after saying that, this poem is called Freebies on Gumtree. In all fairness, the assorted patio slabs, TV, cabinet and used mattress are not the best things. But this is life in the age of the microwave dinner. What can't be afforded isn't needed. What is free isn't wanted. Frugality is key. Think of how your mother saved 20 pence pieces in an empty whiskey bottle tube. Take care of the pennies. This is a lie you won't remember being told. 
God is not in your image. Surely you desire him to be better looking. Baked beans mixed with fried onions have an extra kick. A playground can be a railway line or a shopping centre. Perspective is key. Think of Sunday school and being asked to draw a plague. Everything except the killings of the firstborn was in colour. Green for frogs, locusts, boils. But black is only for the slimming of families and bodies. Exodus lacks the thrill of revelations but is better than seasons 8 to 10 of The Walking Dead. Put it like this, 71% and rising of earth is water and 25% of earth's population are Muslim. If they really wanted, we'd already swim with the fishes. Sure, the sun's been doing the same act for years. Circus music is universal. This is a truth you won't remember being told. We're all in this together. Make love last longer than a parking ticket. Forgiveness is key. Think of how your father taught you to skim stones. Some jumped, some sank, all rippled. That's my 20 pence. Now here's the offer. One heart in mint condition. Unboxed. Collection only. And that's your lot. The final poem on the final episode of Series 1 of the Dunkern Podcast. Will there be a Series 2? Only time will tell. But if there is, hopefully it can be recorded in the Dunkern with the guest and me in the same room. But thank you once again to all my guests. Abby, Joby, Diona, Stephen, Fiona, Laura, Amy, Peter, Emer, Raquel and Kieran. Thank you all for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure to be in your ears over the past few months. And I'm sure and I hope that we will see each other again soon up the Dunkern Road. But for now, happy Easter. So long, farewell. Auf Wiedersehen, goodbye and toodaloo.